Part three of Vindication of the Rights of Men by Mary Wollstonecraft. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the name of the people of England, you say that we know we have made no discoveries, and we think that no discoveries are to be made in morality, nor many in the great principles of government, nor in the ideas of liberty, which were understood long before we were born, altogether as well as they will be after the grave has heaped its mould upon our presumption, and the silent tomb shall have imposed its law on our pert loquacity in england we have not yet been completely emboweled of our natural entrails we still feel within us and we cherish and cultivate those inbred sentiments which are the faithful guardians the active monitors of our duty the true supporters of all liberal and manly morals what do you mean by inbred sentiments from whence do they come how were they bred are they the brood of folly which swarm like the insects on the banks of the nile when mud and putrefaction have enriched the languid soil were these uh, inbred sentiments faithful guardians of our duty when the church was an asylum for murderers and men worshipped bread as a god when slavery was authorized by law to fasten her fangs on human flesh and the iron eat into the very soul if these sentiments are not acquired if our passive dispositions do not expand into virtuous affections and passions why are not the tartars in the first rude horde endued with sentiments white and elegant as the driven snow why is passion or heroism the child of reflection the consequence of dwelling with intent contemplation on one object the appetites are the only perfect inbred powers that i can discern and they like instincts have a certain aim they can be satisfied but improvable reason has not yet discovered the perfection it may arrive at god forbid first however it is necessary to make what we know practical who can deny that has marked the slow progress of civilization that men may become more virtuous and happy without any new discovery in morals who will venture to assert that virtue would not be promoted by the more extensive cultivation of reason if nothing more is to be done let us eat and drink for to-morrow we die and die for ever who will pretend to say that there is as much happiness diffused on this globe as it is capable of affording as many social virtues as reason would foster if she could gain the strength she is able to acquire even in this imperfect state if the voice of nature was allowed to speak audibly from the bottom of the heart and the native unalienable rights of men were recognized in their full force if factitious merit did not take place of genuine acquired virtue and enable men to build their enjoyment on the misery of their fellow-creatures if men were more under the dominion of reason than opinion and did not cherish their prejudices because they were prejudices i am not sir aware of your sneers hailing a millennium though a state of greater purity of morals may not be a mere poetic fiction nor did my fancy ever create a heaven on earth since reason threw off her swaddling clothes 
i perceive but too forcibly that happiness literally speaking dwells not here and that we wander to and fro in a veil of darkness as well as tears i perceive that my passions pursue objects that the imagination enlarges till they become only a sublime idea that shrinks from the inquiry of sense and mocks the experimental philosophers who would confine this spiritual phlogiston in their material crucibles i know that the human understanding is deluded with vain shadows and that when we eagerly pursue any study we only reach the boundary set to human inquiries thus far shalt thou go and no further says some stern difficulty and the cause we were pursuing melts into utter darkness but these are only the trials of contemplative minds the foundation of virtue remains firm the power of exercising our understanding raises us above the brutes and this exercise produces that primary morality which you term untaught feelings if virtue be an instinct i renounce all hope of immortality and with it all the sublime reveries and dignified sentiments that have smoothed the rugged path of life it is all a cheat a lying vision i have disquieted myself in vain for in my eye all feelings are false and spurious that do not rest on justice as their foundation and are not concentred by universal love i reverence the rights of men sacred rights for which i acquire a more profound respect the more i look into my own mind and professing these heterodox opinions i still preserve my bowels my heart is human beats quick with human sympathies and i fear god i bend with awful reverence when i inquire on what my fear is built i fear that sublime power whose motive for creating me must have been wise and good and i submit to the moral laws which my reason deduces from this view of my dependence on him it is not his power that i fear it is not to an arbitrary will but to unerring reason i submit submit yes i disregard the charge of arrogance to the law that regulates his just resolves and the happiness i pant after must be the same in kind and produced by the same exertion as his though unfeigned humility overwhelms every idea that would presume to compare the goodness which the most exalted created being could acquire with the grand source of life and bliss this fear of god makes me reverence myself yes sir the regard i have for honest fame and the friendship of the virtuous falls far short of the respect which i have for myself and this enlightened self-love if an epithet the meaning of which has been grossly perverted will convey my idea forces me to see and if i may venture to borrow a prostituted term to feel that happiness is reflected and that in communicating good my soul receives its noble ailment i do not trouble myself therefore to inquire whether this is the fear the people of england feel and if it be natural to include all the modifications which you have annexed it is not besides i cannot help suspecting that if you had the enlightened respect for yourself which you affect to despise 
you would not have said that the constitution of our church and state formed like most other modern ones by degrees as europe was emerging out of barbarism was formed under the auspices and was confirmed by the sanction of religion and piety you have turned over the historic page have been hackneyed in the ways of men and must know that private cabals and public feuds private virtues and vices religion and superstition have all concurred to foment the mass and swell it to its present form nay more that it in part owes its sightly appearance to bold rebellion and insidious innovation factions sir have been the leaven and private interest has produced public good these general reflections are not thrown out to insinuate that virtue was a creature of yesterday no she had her share in the grand drama i guard against misrepresentation but the man who cannot modify general assertions has scarcely learned the first rudiments of reasoning i know that there is a great portion of virtue in the romish church yet i should not choose to neglect clothing myself with a garment of my own righteousness depending on a kind donative of works of supererogation i know that there are many clergymen of all denominations wise and virtuous yet i have not that respect for the whole body which you say characterizes our nation emanating from a certain plainness and directness of understanding now we are stumbling on inbred feelings and secret lights again or i beg your pardon it may be the furbished up face which you choose to give to the argument it is a well-known fact that when we the people of england have a son whom we scarcely know what to do with we make a clergyman of him when a living is in the gift of a family a son is brought up to the church but not always with hopes full of immortality such sublime principles are not constantly infused into persons of exalted birth they sometimes think of the paltry pelf of the moment and the vulgar care of preaching the gospel or practising self-denial is left to the poor curates who arguing on your ground cannot have from the scanty stipend they receive a very high and worthy notion of their function and destination this consecration forever a word that from lips of flesh is big with a mighty nothing has not purged the sacred temple from all the impurities of fraud violence injustice and tyranny human passions still lurk in her sanctum sanctorum and without the profane exertions of reason vain would be her ceremonial ablutions morality would still stand aloof from this national religion this ideal consecration of a state and men would rather choose to give the goods of their body when on their deathbeds to clear the narrow way to heaven than restrain the mad career of passions during life such a curious paragraph occurs in this part of your letter that i am tempted to transcribe it and must beg you to elucidate it if i misconceive your meaning the only way in which the people interfere in government religious or civil is in electing representatives and sir let me ask you with manly plainness are these holy nominations 
where is the booth of religion does she mix her awful mandates or lift her persuasive voice in those scenes of drunken riot and beastly gluttony does she preside over those nocturnal abominations which so evidently tend to deprave the manners of the lower class of people the pestilence stops not here the rich and poor have one common nature and many of the great families which on this side adoration you venerate date their misery i speak of stubborn matters of fact from the thoughtless extravagance of an electioneering frolic yet after the effervescence of spirits raised by opposition and all the little and tyrannic arts of canvassing are over quiet souls they only intend to march rank and file to say yes or no experience i believe will show that sordid interest or licentious thoughtlessness is the spring of action at most elections again i beg you not to lose sight of my modification of general rules so far are the people from being habitually convinced of the sanctity of the charge they are conferring that the venality of their votes must admonish them that they have no right to expect disinterested conduct but to return to the church and the habitual conviction of the people of england so far are the people from being habitually convinced that no evil can be acceptable either in the act or the permission to him whose essence is good that the sermons which they hear are to them almost as unintelligible as if they were preached in a foreign tongue the language and sentiments rising above their capacities very orthodox christians are driven to fanatical meetings for amusement if not for edification the clergy i speak of the body not forgetting the respect and affection which i have for individuals perform the duty of their profession as a kind of fee simple to entitle them to the emoluments accruing from it and their ignorant flock think that merely going to church is meritorious so defective in fact are our laws respecting religious establishments that i have heard many rational pious clergymen complain that they had no method of receiving their stipends that did not clog their endeavours to be useful whilst the lives of many less conscientious rectors are passed in litigious disputes with the people they engage to instruct or in distant cities in all the ease of luxurious idleness but you return to your old firm ground art thou there true penny must we swear to secure property and make assurance doubly sure to give your perturbed spirit rest peace peace to the manes of thy patriotic frenzy which contributed to deprive some of thy fellow-citizens of their property in america another spirit now walks abroad to secure the property of the church the tithes are safe we will not say forever because the time may come when the traveller may ask where proud london stood when its temples its laws and its trade may be buried in one common ruin and only serve as a byword to point a moral or furnish senators who wage a wordy war on the other side of the atlantic with tropes to swell their thundering bursts of eloquence who shall dare to accuse you of inconsistency any more 
when you have so staunchly supported the despotic principles which agree so perfectly with the unerring interests of a large body of your fellow-citizens not the largest for when you venerate parliaments i presume it is not the majority as you have had the presumption to dissent and loudly explain your reasons but it was not my intention when i began this letter to descend to the minutiae of your conduct or to weigh your infirmities in a balance it is only some of your pernicious opinions that i wish to hunt out of their lurking holes and to show you to yourself stripped of the gorgeous drapery in which you have enwrapped your tyrannic principles that the people of england respect the national establishment i do not deny i recollect the melancholy proof which they gave in this very century of their enlightened zeal and reasonable affection i likewise know that according to the dictates of a prudent law in a commercial state truth is reckoned a libel yet i acknowledge having never made my humanity give place to gothic gallantry that i should have been better pleased to have heard that lord george gordon was confined on account of the calamities which he brought on his country than for a libel on the queen of france but one argument which you adduce to strengthen your assertion appears to carry the preponderancy towards the other side you observe that our education is so formed as to confirm and fix this impression respect for the religious establishment and that our education is in a manner wholly in the hands of ecclesiastics and in all stages from infancy to manhood far from agreeing with you sir that these regulations render the clergy a more useful and respectable body experience convinces me that the very contrary is the fact in schools and colleges they may in some degree support their dignity within the monastic walls but in paying due respect to the parents of the young nobility under their tutelage they do not forget obsequiously to respect their noble patrons the little respect paid in great houses to tutors and chaplains proves sir the fallacy of your reasoning it would be almost invidious to remark that they sometimes are only modern substitutes for the jesters of gothic memory and serve as whetstones for the blunt wit of the noble peer who patronizes them and what respect a boy can imbibe for a butt at which the shaft of ridicule is daily glanced i leave those to determine who can distinguish depravity of morals under the specious mask of refined manners besides the custom of sending clergymen to travel with their noble pupils as humble companions instead of exalting tends inevitably to degrade the clerical character it is notorious that they meanly submit to the most servile dependence and gloss over the most capricious follies to use a soft phrase of the boys to whom they look up for preferment an airy mitre dances before them and they wrap their sheep's clothing more closely about them and make their spirits bend till it is prudent to claim the rights of men and the honest freedom of speech of an englishman how indeed could they venture to reprove for his vices their patron the clergy only give the true feudal emphasis to this word 
it has been observed by men who have not superficially investigated the human heart that when a man makes his spirit bend to any power but reason his character is soon degraded and his mind shackled by the very prejudices to which he submits with reluctance the observations of experience have been carried still further and the servility to superiors and tyranny to inferiors said to characterize our clergy have rationally been supposed to rise naturally from their associating with the nobility among unequals there can be no society giving a manly meaning to the term from such intimacies friendship can never grow if the basis of friendship is mutual respect and not a commercial treaty taken thus out of their sphere and enjoying their tithes at a distance from their flocks is it not natural for them to become courtly parasites and intriguing dependents on great patrons or the treasury observing all this for these things have not been transacted in the dark our young men of fashion by a common though erroneous association of ideas have conceived a contempt for religion as they sucked in with their milk a contempt for the clergy the people of england sir in the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries i will not go any further back to insult the ashes of departed popery did not settle the establishment and endow it with princely revenues to make it proudly rear its head as a part of the constitutional body to guard the liberties of the community but like some of the laborious commentators on shakespeare you have affixed a meaning to laws that chance or to speak more philosophically the interested views of men settled not dreaming of your ingenious elucidations what but the rapacity of the only men who exercise their reason the priests secured such vast property to the church when a man gave his perishable substance to save himself from the dark torments of purgatory and found it more convenient to indulge his depraved appetites and pay an exorbitant price for absolution than listen to the suggestions of reason and work out his own salvation in a word was not the separation of religion from morality the work of the priests and partly achieved in those honourable days which you so piously deplore that civilization that the cultivation of the understanding and refinement of the affections naturally make a man religious i am proud to acknowledge what else can fill the aching void in the heart that human pleasures human friendships can never fill what else can render us resigned to live though condemned to ignorance what but a profound reverence for the model of all perfection and the mysterious tie which arises from a love of goodness what can make us reverence ourselves but a reverence for that being of whom we are a faint image that mighty spirit moves on the waters confusion hears his voice and the troubled heart ceases to beat with anguish for trust in him bad it be still conscious dignity may make us rise superior to calumny and sternly brave the winds of adverse fortune raised in our own esteem by the very storms of which we are the sport 
but when friends are unkind and the heart has not the prop on which it fondly leaned where can a tender suffering being fly but to the searcher of hearts and when death has desolated the present scene and torn from us the friend of our youth when we walk along the accustomed path and almost fancying nature dead ask where art thou who gave life to these well-known scenes when memory heightens former pleasures to contrast our present prospects there is but one source of comfort within our reach and in this sublime solitude the world appears to contain only the creator and the creature of whose happiness he is the source these are human feelings but i know not of any common nature or common relation amongst men but that results from reason the common affections and passions equally bind brutes together and it is only the continuity of those relations that entitles us to the denomination of rational creatures and this continuity arises from reflection from the operations of that reason which you contemn with flippant disrespect if then it appears arguing from analogy that reflection must be the natural foundation of rational affections and of that experience which enables one man to rise above another a phenomenon that has never been seen in the brute creation it may not be stretching the argument further than it will go to suppose that those men who are obliged to exercise their reason have the most reason and are the persons pointed out by nature to direct the society of which they make a part on any extraordinary emergency time only will show whether the general censure which you afterwards qualify if not contradict and the unmerited contempt that you have ostentatiously displayed of the national assembly be founded on reason the offspring of conviction or the spawn of envy time may show that this obscure throng knew more of the human heart and of legislation than the profligates of rank emasculated by hereditary effeminacy it is not perhaps of a very great consequence who were the founders of a state savages thieves curates or practitioners in the law it is true you might sarcastically remark that the romans had always a smack of the old leaven and that the private robbers supposing the tradition to be true only became public depredators you might have added that their civilization must have been very partial and had more influence on the manners than morals of the people or the amusements of the amphitheatre would not have remained an everlasting blot not only on their humanity but on their refinement if a vicious elegance of behaviour and luxurious mode of life is not a prostitution of the term however the thundering censures which you have cast with a ponderous arm and the more playful bush-firing of ridicule are not arguments that will ever depreciate the national assembly for applying to their understanding rather than to their imagination when they met to settle the newly acquired liberty of the state on a solid foundation if you had given the same advice to a young history painter of abilities i should have admired your judgment and re-echoed your sentiments 
study you might have said the noble models of antiquity till your imagination is inflamed and rising above the vulgar practice of the hour you may imitate without copying those great originals a glowing picture of some interesting moment would probably have been produced by these natural means particularly if one little circumstance is not overlooked that the painter had noble models to revert to calculated to excite admiration and stimulate exertion but in settling a constitution that involves the happiness of millions that stretch beyond the computation of science it was perhaps necessary for the assembly to have a higher model in view than the imagined virtues of their forefathers and wise to deduce their respect for themselves from the only legitimate source respect for justice why was it a duty to repair an ancient castle built in barbarous ages of gothic materials why were the legislators obliged to rake amongst heterogeneous ruins to rebuild old walls whose foundations could scarcely be explored when a simple structure might be raised on the foundation of experience the only valuable inheritance our forefathers could bequeath yet of this bequest we can make little use till we have gained a stock of our own and even then their inherited experience would rather serve as lighthouses to warn us against dangerous rocks or sandbanks than as finger-posts that stand at every turning to point out the right road nor was it absolutely necessary that they should be diffident of themselves when they were dissatisfied with or could not discern the almost obliterated constitution of their ancestors they should first have been convinced that our constitution was not only the best modern but the best possible one and that our social compact was the surest foundation of all the possible liberty a mass of men could enjoy that the human understanding could form they should have been certain that our representation answered all the purposes of representation and that an established inequality of rank and property secured the liberty of the whole community instead of rendering it a sounding epithet of subjection when applied to the nation at large they should have had the same respect for our house of commons that you vauntingly intrude on us though your conduct throughout life has spoken a very different language before they made a point of not deviating from the model which first engaged their attention that the british house of commons is filled with everything illustrious in rank in descent in heredity and acquiring opulence may be true but that it contains everything respectable in talents in military civil naval and political distinction is very problematical arguing from natural causes the very contrary would appear to the speculatus to be the fact and let experience say whether these speculations are built on sure ground it is true you lay great stress on the effects produced by the bare idea of a liberal descent 
but from the conduct of men of rank men of discernment would rather be led to conclude that this idea obliterated instead of inspiring native dignity and substituted a factitious pride that disemboweled the man the liberty of the rich has its ensigns armorial to puff the individual out with insubstantial honours but where are blazoned the struggles of virtuous poverty who indeed would dare to blazon that would blur the pompous monumental inscription you boast of and make us view with horror as monsters in human shape the superb gallery of portraits proudly set in battle array but to examine the subject more closely is it among the list of possibilities that a man of rank and fortune can have received a good education how can he discover that he is a man when all his wants are instantly supplied and invention is never sharpened by necessity will he labour for everything valuable must be the fruit of laborious exertions to attain knowledge and virtue in order to merit the affection of his equals when the flattering attention of sycophants is a more luscious cordial health can only be secured by temperance but is it easy to persuade a man to live on plain food even to recover his health who has been accustomed to fare sumptuously every day can a man relish the simple food of friendship who has been habitually pampered by flattery and when the blood boils and the senses meet allurements on every side will knowledge be pursued on account of its abstract beauty no it is well known that talents are only to be unfolded by industry and that we must have made some advances led by an inferior motive before we discover that they are their own reward but full-blown talents may according to your system be hereditary and as independent of ripening judgment as the inbred feelings that rising above reason naturally guard englishmen from error noble franchises what a grovelling mind must that man have who can pardon his stepdame nature for not having made him at least a lord and who will after your description of senatorial virtues dare to say that our house of commons has often resembled a bear garden and appeared rather like a committee of ways and means than a dignified legislative body though the concentrated wisdom and virtue of the whole nation blazed in one superb constellation that it contains a dead weight of benumbing opulence i readily allow and of ignoble ambition nor is there anything surpassing belief in a supposition that the raw recruits when properly drilled by the minister would gladly march to the upper house to unite hereditary honours to fortune but talents knowledge and virtue must be a part of the man and cannot be put as robes of state often are on a servant or a block to render a pageant more magnificent our house of commons it is true has been celebrated as a school of eloquence a hotbed for wit even when party intrigues narrow the understanding and contract the heart 
yet from the few proficients it has accomplished this inferior praise is not of great magnitude nor of great consequence mr locke would have added who was ever of opinion that eloquence was oftener employed to make the worse appear the better part than to support the dictates of cool judgment however the greater number who have gained a seat by their fortune and hereditary rank are content with their preeminence and struggle not for more hazardous honours but you are an exception you have raised yourself by the exertion of abilities and thrown the automatons of rank into the background your exertions have been a generous contest for secondary honours or a grateful tribute of respect due to the noble ashes that lent a hand to raise you into notice by introducing you into the house of which you have ever been an ornament if not a support but unfortunately you have lately lost a great part of your popularity members were tired of listening to declamation or had not sufficient taste to be amused when you ingeniously wandered from the question and said certainly many good things if they were not to the present purpose you were the cicero of one side of the house for years and then to sink into oblivion to see your blooming honours fade before you was enough to rouse that was human in you and make you produce the impassioned reflections which have been a glorious revivification of your fame richard is himself again he is still a great man though he has deserted his post and buried in elogiums on church establishment the enthusiasm that forced him to throw the weight of his talents on the side of liberty and natural rights when the will of the nation oppressed the americans there appears to be such a mixture of real sensibility and fondly cherished romance in your composition that the present crisis carries you out of yourself and since you could not be one of the grand movers the next best thing that dazzled your imagination was to be a conspicuous opposer full of yourself you made as much noise to convince the world that you despised the revolution as rousseau did to persuade his contemporaries to let him live in obscurity reading your reflections warily over it has continually and forcibly struck me that had you been a frenchman you would have been in spite of your respect for rank and antiquity a violent revolutionist and deceived as you now probably are by the passions that cloud your reason have termed your romantic enthusiasm and enlightened love of your country a benevolent respect for the rights of men your imagination would have taken fire and have found arguments full as ingenious as those you now offer to prove that the constitution of which so few pillars remain that constitution which time had almost obliterated was not a model sufficiently noble to deserve close adherence and for the english constitution you might not have had such a profound veneration as you have lately acquired nay it is not impossible that you might have entertained the same opinion of the english parliament that you professed to have during the american war another observation which by frequently occurring has almost grown into a conviction is simply this 
that had the english and general reprobated the french revolution you would have stood forth alone and been the avowed goliah of liberty but not liking to see so many brothers near the throne of fame you have turned the current of your passions and consequently of your reasoning another way had dr price's sermon not lighted some sparks very like envy in your bosom i shrewdly suspect that he would have been treated with more candour nor is it charitable to suppose that anything but personal pique and hurt vanity could have dictated such bitter sarcasm and reiterated expressions of contempt as occur in your reflections but without fixed principles even goodness of heart is no security from inconsistency and mild affectionate sensibility only renders a man more ingeniously cruel when the pangs of hurt vanity are mistaken for virtuous indignation and the gall of bitterness for the milk of christian charity where is the dignity the infallibility of sensibility in the fair ladies whom if the voice of rumour is to be credited the captive negroes curse in all the agony of bodily pain for the unheard-of tortures they invent it is probably that some of them after the sight of a flagellation compose their ruffled spirits and exercise their tender feelings by the perusal of the last imported novel how true these tears are to nature i leave you to determine but these ladies may have read your inquiry concerning the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful and convinced by your arguments may have laboured to be pretty by counterfeiting weakness you may have convinced them that littleness and weakness are the very essence of beauty and that the supreme being in giving women beauty in the most supereminent degree seemed to command them by the powerful voice of nature not to cultivate the moral virtues that might chance to excite respect and interfere with the pleasing sensations they were created to inspire thus confining truth fortitude and humanity within the rigid pale of manly morals they might justly argue that to be loved woman's high end and great distinction they should learn to lisp to totter in their walk and nickname god's creatures never they might repeat after you was any man much less a woman rendered amiable by the force of those exalted qualities fortitude justice wisdom and truth and thus forewarned of the sacrifice they must make to those austere unnatural virtues they would be authorized to turn all their attention to their persons systematically neglecting morals to secure beauty some rational old woman indeed might chance to stumble at this doctrine and hint that in avoiding atheism you had not steered clear of the mussulman's creed but you could readily exculpate yourself by turning the charge on nature who made our idea of beauty independent of reason nor would it be necessary for you to recollect that if virtue has any other foundation than worldly utility you have clearly proved that one half of the human species at least have not souls 
and that nature by making women little smooth delicate fair creatures never designed that they should exercise their reason to acquire the virtues that produce opposite if not contradictory feelings the affection they excite to be uniform and perfect should not be tinctured with the respect which moral virtues inspire lest pain should be blended with pleasure and admiration disturb the soft intimacy of love this laxity of morals in the female world is certainly more captivating to a libertine imagination than the cold arguments of reason that give no sex to virtue if beautiful weakness be interwoven in a woman's frame if the chief business of her life be as you insinuate to inspire love and nature has made an eternal distinction between the qualities that dignify a rational being and this animal perfection her duty and happiness in this life must clash with any preparation for a more exalted state so that plato and milton were grossly mistaken in asserting that human love led to heavenly and was only an exaltation of the same affection for the love of the deity which is mixed with the most profound reverence must be love of perfection and not compassion for weakness to say the truth i not only tremble for the souls of women but for the good-natured man whom every one loves the amiable weakness of his mind is a strong argument against its immateriality and seems to prove that beauty relaxes the solids of the soul as well as the body End of part three.